This week's guest is Martine McClarney. Martine got her start in the industry in fine dining and bartending in Caledon, Ontario at the appropriately named Caledon Inn. We discuss her time working as a corporate trainer for Eastside Mario's, as well as the time she spent in Honduras building, opening, and operating a mainland cruise ship port. During our conversation with Martine, we talk about the importance of leadership and proper training and providing staff the specific treatment they require. Furthermore, we discuss the need for standardized management practices across the entire industry. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Industry Podcast, recorded live from Studio 258 here. Uh, with I'm Kip Saunders, I'm your host. This is Dan Soretta, my producer, engineer extraordinaire. How are things? Mm, still, uh, still awesome. No complaints. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got, I got a few, but right. nobody gives a shit. Um, uh, we're recording this on, what is today? They're all, they've all run together yeah, for me. Yeah, to, Monday, June 15th. The June 15th. So, as of last weekend, it was exciting. The patios got reopened in town. That's right. And I uh, hit up uh, one of our previous guests, Jill Sadler, and got way too drunk on her patio at, um, at uh, Swine and Vine, so thanks to her for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> also, uh, I'd like to just say, because we haven't mentioned it in a while, the guy who does all the uh, artwork for us uh, is Zach Hanna. He is at Zach Hanna Design. Hit him up for any graphic arts needs, because he's awesome. Now, is that just Zach with a C only, or is Z -A -C -H? Oh, sorry, it's Z-A-K-H-A-N-N-A-H design. Perfect. <laughs> you can tell I'm really good at the social yeah. media. Um, okay, we have a great guest for you today, Martine McClarney. She's got a whole host of crazy experiences, and uh, she currently is working at Langdon Hall. Uh, we're going to bring her in right now. How are you, Martine? I'm great, thank you. How are you? We're good, yeah. yeah. Getting by. Like I said, patio's open now. So hopefully, by the time people are even listening to this podcast, my business is back open. That'll be exciting. Uh, and I heard that uh, as of right now, your business is doing um, patio, right? So uh, today's the 15th. There's a soft open on June 19th. Um, oh, okay. And then open to the public June 21st, which is Sunday. Uh, so because it's a hotel, um, there's some other um, things to navigate for them. So the, the hotel hasn't been open. It's opening back up again, um, along with the patio. Uh, and so I think even just this week, we're still trying to figure out how to how to do that properly. And right. Well, everybody is. And there isn't a whole lot of direction coming from the government. So no. uh, like, we're, I find out everything from reading the newspaper that day, which I feel exactly. like there could be a more direct... <laughs> um, transfer of information from the people in charge, but hey, that's, I'm, I'm not in charge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. So yeah, I mean, they're figuring it out. Um, I have faith that the powers that be will will do what they need to do, and I imagine they'll take the highest level of precautions, being the you know highest level of service standards that they are. So yeah, for the sure. Shields yeah. are in our future. Yeah, I think maybe, huh? I know some places that. Uh, I know uh, uh, one restaurant in town here. They well, it doesn't seem to make a lot of logical sense, but they they have the hostesses wearing face shields, but nobody else working there wears a face shield. Just okay. a face mask. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I don't know. But the problem is because just give us some direction. We'll do whatever you want us to do. Right? Like yeah. Don't, exactly. don't make us figure it out ourselves. And a bit of time, right? Like it's kind of been like, okay, you can do this tomorrow. 
Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And that's why I'm trying to like make sure that we are ready to go for yeah. when that happens. So I'm in there all the time just and keeping up with the news. But still, like without any direction, you're still going to have a transition period where nobody knows what's going on. So Exactly. Anyway, enough about that. Let's talk about you. Um, so, okay, so I, I was just reading through your bio earlier today, um, and you started at the Caledon Inn. Tell us about that place a little bit, where it was and uh, what you were doing there. How yeah, so Caledon, um, I grew up in Caledon East, which is a tiny little town, uh, sort of just north of Brampton area or just north of Toronto um, yeah. kind of idea. Um and, you know, an old, old building that upstairs was fine dining, really beautiful um, grounds. And downstairs was like your classic English pub, like in the basement kind of situation with, uh, you know, stone walls and all that beautiful stuff. Um, so. And it was also uh, like an actual hotel. That's just not. A, it was not at the oh, time. Okay. It wasn't at the time. No. So it probably was. Um, it was just called the Caledon Inn, I right. guess, you know, little towns do that. So that's um, kind of interesting to have like such disparate type places owned by the same people in the same building. Like, it's a cool idea. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I don't think it stayed that way. That's how it was when I started working there. And I think they've since ownership has changed and um, they've really gone because their grounds are so beautiful. They've gone into events and weddings and things like that. Um, actually, my best friend got married there. So oh, nice. back. yeah, so um, to make it work it. <laughs> no, she didn't. Luckily. Luckily, I was in the wedding, so I guess I was kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. probably were. Um, so that um, I, I, I like the whole idea of the two, the split of the fine dining and the pub mm -hmm. spot in the basement. Did that work? So, if you were working there, are you working both spots, or are you definitively one or the other? So I did. I did work both spots. I started in the pub, and and. Uh, that was the year that um, this was, you know, before people checked a lot of stuff, I guess. So I didn't really want to be a hostess or bus. Mm -hmm. So uh, I got a job there when I was 17 and I definitely told them that I was 18. Sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that I could work behind the bar mm -hmm. and serve drinks. Um, so I actually had two 19th birthdays two years in a row. So that oh. worked. <laughs> That's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I've had four or five 40 year old 40 birth, 40 year old birthdays in a row so that makes yeah. sense um, yeah so um yeah I started the sort of summer job is how it started so it was like pub and patio and then as we moved into fall um I actually found the fine dining really interesting and there was a there was a really amazing um like head server there who sort of took me under his wing and taught me some of those you know details What's that guy's name in case he's still? Oh, there? God, I don't remember. No, this is about 150 years ago, so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so so you actually get to start doing some of the fine dining service at a pretty young age then. Yeah. That's unusual. Usually most of us get to it after quite a few years in the business. So that must have, was it overwhelming to be really young and... Um, it was, I think, um, I remember, I remember going to a table, um, like probably my first table and it was the owner, um, sat there and he thought that he was something special. Mm. Um, but he, so I remember going to the table and they asked me something about the meat. Like what was it, was the meat fresh today? Was it, you know what I mean? Like they, whatever it was, whatever the question was, lamb. 
Uh, and I was like, you know, I, I don't know. Let me go back and ask the kitchen, which now when I train people, I'm like, that's the right thing to do. Yes. But I remember him afterwards making me feel like garbage yeah. that I should have never gone to that table and never talked to them if I didn't know what I was talking about and like all of this stuff. And truth be told, it worked because I really never made that mistake again. And, and you know, I made sure I talked to the kitchen every day before I I glad you brought that up, though, because I have had that happen to me with owners or um, managers yeah. in my first couple of weeks at any given job. And when we're, you're, new, you're new, you're going to make a couple of mistakes, of course. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like they try and question you in order to trip you up. And I don't know what that's yeah. teaching you, really. Like, if it's a basic thing and you didn't know and you went to the table, that's one thing. But, like, right. if they're asking you a super specific question that nobody would really know... Like I, I didn't, I never understood the point of that. It's really just humiliation. Well, and that was it, right? Like I'm, I'm sure this, you know, seasoned server who was training me at the time, um, thought, okay, well, I'm going to let her go to this table because it's the owner, and you know, it's a, sort of a safe space. Yeah. Um, and boy, was he wrong. I know. I've <laughs> but I think it, that was his his intent. He wasn't letting me right. go to other. Not throwing people. you to the wolves or like. No, yeah. not at all. But. And I've had that happen with me too with like groups of servers who work mm-hmm. in a uh, and and people be like, oh, you take that table because those guys are all servers. They'll go easy yeah. on you. And you get this one idiot who's trying to show off and makes you feel like shit. And you know, I, yeah. I never understood the point of that. But yeah, it's, it's a competitive industry, I guess. Um, so. So that's, I mean, again, that's a pretty young age to be thrust into the whole fine dining thing. And I always, but I do find that once you've done the fine dining, it kind of makes all parts of the job easier from like where you go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did have to retrain myself afterwards because I went to like, you know, casual, casual dining, family dining, those kinds of things is where I, I went next. And so I had to retrain myself because... Um, I wasn't used to, you know, not making certain steps or not carrying things a certain way or not serving a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, you're wasting time. You don't need to do that. Because like, oh, it's more okay. about turnover and speed and <laughs> right. whatever. But it's not so much that they thought it was too formal for the room more just you were wasting time. Yeah, I think it was more along the lines of um, the standards actually changed, right? Like mm-hmm. it's you know, we don't want you to do this thing anymore um, because it, it, it just doesn't make sense. Like, like, so clearing the plates, clearing plates, for an example, and fine Mm -hmm. dining, you don't clear plates until everybody's done. Right. General rule of thumb. Mm -hmm. When you work for fast casual, as soon as the plate's done on the table, your job is to get it off the table. Yeah. And I, and that's, that's, those are very much the hard and fast rules. And um, it's interesting that you brought that up. As I find, though, as a guest, it's funny, weird. It's like, even if I'm at a fine dining restaurant, if I'm done, just take my plate away. I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know when or where that became the thing to do in fine dining, but it is like, yeah, it is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Um, It's and can you talk about any other little um, just because you brought up an interesting example there? Can you think of any other sort of examples of the like specific differences in Um, you know, I think that there's a certain way, especially now at Langdon Hall, like the way that I attribute to it is it's like a dance, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're in the dining room and servers are in the dining room, you move a certain way, you move, um, you know, 
clockwise around the table, you, you know, the way that things do so that everything looks beautiful all the time, Mm -hmm. where if you go into, you know, your fast, fast, casual sort of restaurant, um, it's a totally different vibe. And so there's no, like, it's literally, you're reaching across and as long as you say, sorry for my reach, that's okay. Yes. Right. Like, you know, you still have to be polite. You still have to do your thing, but like, I'm going to like pass you my beer across your buddy's face and that's going to be fine. I like the notion of it being like a dance. Um, I, I would posit that more like fine dining is like a waltz, whereas any other style of, rest, of restaurant or behind a bar is kind of like popping and locking. Like you're just yeah. trying to move your body really quick to get out of the way of somebody else. Yeah, but like- if you know what you're doing and you're comfortable with the person you're working with, like you can work a blasted shift all night and never touch another human being easily. Absolutely. And then you find you're working with somebody else who just doesn't really get the movement. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just, you're slamming into each other. All well, night I actually do that in my own house now. Like yeah. when my partner comes into our kitchen and I'm like, you don't know how to move in a kitchen. Like you're yeah. in the <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's the same. Like, um, we have a small kitchen at home. Um, my wife's a server as well, and we never we can do a whole thing with, without ever making contact unless yeah. we choose to. But as soon as the fifteen year old enters, whew, yeah, I'll bet. Well, yeah, like it's just it, right? My yeah. my partner's a banker, so when he's in the kitchen, he's like, yeah. not, he has no concept of any of those things, right? No, just slamming right into you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, okay, so you so the next place that you did go to work um, was at. Eastside Marriott? Yeah. So I, I'm trying to think, I, you know, the, in terms of the order, I feel like there's other jobs here and there. And, and right. you know, okay. it's always been in the restaurant industry. But the next big step was, um, yeah, Eastside Marriott. Um, so that's really interesting to me because that's generally the starter job yeah. in the service industry. And we've had actually quite a few people on the show already who did start in Eastside Marriott. For those who haven't been listening to the show, shame on you, A. B, um, <laughs> you can see, listen to all of them in the archives. But at at, uh, at the industry podcast, um, but uh, a lot of them started at Eastside Marios. Eastside Marios is a sort of Canadian version of the Olive Garden. Yeah, is that accurate? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I think that's pretty accurate for sure. Um, so I re- I remember it being like my, like one of my favorite restaurants when I was a kid. Like it sure, being yeah. free bread and salad. Absolutely. <laughs> and they had candles on the table. They always had candles, and I remember being able, because they had those plastic tablecloths, really weird memory, being able to pour the wax out onto the tablecloth and then play with it as a kid. I don't know. It's a very strange memory, but. Yeah, no, but when you're um, a kid, that's what entertains you, right? <laughs> yeah, it was a bit, so yeah, it was a bit nostalgic. Um, we moved to, I lived in Orangeville, uh, again, so even further north of. Uh, you say we, this is your whole family? like No, no, family. actually at the time, this was a, a previous life and previous people. Okay, leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I moved. I moved to Orangeville. No, Uh, sorry, I meant your like parents. Yeah, no, actually, so I was probably eighteen or nineteen. Okay, Um, and and really, what happened was, um, my mom was is a single mom, and um, but she had a long term boyfriend, and uh, he actually lived in Cambridge, which is where we are now. Mm-hmm. And so when I turned, uh, like actually turned 19 for in real life, yeah. um, uh, she moved in with her boyfriend and I moved in with mine. Oh, well, so, okay. Yeah. No, all right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now uh, you're in Orangeville and this yeah. is, yeah. And this is when you get the Eastside Mario's gig. So I decided I needed to do something different with my life as we all 
think mm. at some point, I think, or lots of us think that. Um, so I decided to go back to school and went to school for uh, interior design. Oh, cool. So I needed a part-time job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I already knew how to bartend and I knew how to do that stuff. And Eastside Mirrors, it was a new store. It was opening from scratch from, from the beginning. So they had a job fair. And so they did the whole training team. We did training for whatever it is, two weeks, and then all of this stuff. So it was a whole big process and something that I had never been a part of before, like a startup, a new store thing. Um, And yeah, I was hired on the spot, hired as a bartender. They gave me the shifts that I wanted so I could go to school. And so that's where... Well, coming from like the experience that you had already had at a more fine dining place, a couple other places as well, I'm sure you're a pretty good hire for them at that point as well. So, uh, yeah, I I didn't, I didn't, uh, I was hired that day at the job. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) a lot more more experience than the average person that shows up with the resume. Um, You probably didn't show up at five o'clock on a Friday night. (laughs) (laughs) uh, So, can you talk a little bit about, because that's a pretty drastic switch, even I don't know any, or at least I haven't talked to anyone yet who went like from Eastside Mario's to fine dining, even in reverse, the normal way you would do it, but generally there's some steps in between. Yeah. So can you talk to me a little bit about the difference in the clientele? Was it shocking? Was it better, worse? Um, I don't know if it was shocking. Like I said, I mean, the, the fine dining at the Caledon Inn, for example, was, um, it was one piece of it, but really there was, you know, there was a pub. So, um, we had a lot of, it was a lot of regulars at the smaller town, small town, you know, they would come in, I'd have their beer poured for them, that kind of thing. Um, so going to, to Eastside Mirrors from that, um, that part was relatively easy because Orangeville at the time, I think it's bigger now was, was a small big town, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so that was interesting. What I had never done before was a franchise or something corporate. Okay. And so having training materials and having trainers and having people who were assigned and, and not really having it, like these are the drinks that you have to make because someone at head office made them up. Um, that was my first experience with that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have any input. Like you can't come no. up with your own cocktail list one day and it's, uh, yeah. And everything's very regimented. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's completely, completely different world. And they tend to take for obvious reasons, I think, because you're trying to set a standard across many cities. Every, everything is so by the book and they take things to an over the top level when it comes to, Pretty much everything. Yes. Yes. Standards-wise. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So there were things about that that I liked and things about that that I didn't like, um, obviously. Um, But there were... The training thing was what really, really intrigued me. Um, So as soon as our our new store opening training was over and we had this group of trainers come in and they, and they stayed in Orangeville. Like they were from all over the country. And they stayed in Orangeville for a month. Cool. training us um even after the the store opened and i thought yeah i, I think i want to do that like do the like, training that seems part. cool i want to be a trainer yeah um, I, I think it sounds cool too i've always yeah. wondered about those people it's like you get to go i mean you might be traveling in some shitty city sometimes but oh yeah yeah <laughs> but it's kind of a but it's a cool way to see a bunch of different parts of your country and, and other Absolutely. countries yeah Absolutely. Okay. so yeah at first it was hard to get used to the 
the regiment. You have to do it this way. You have to do it that way. All of those kinds of things. And the other thing about Eastside Marios, Eastside Marios specifically, is there are about 1,000 steps of service. Oh, yeah. <laughs> even now today, when I hire somebody that has worked at Eastside Marios, they're generally the best servers that I've ever hired. Is that right? That's interesting because, again, we have had a lot of people on the show who work there. And generally, like, well, I can tell you straight up, everyone who's been on the show so far who's actually done the job of serving are like people I consider some of the best that I know and yeah. that I personally know. And a lot of them did work at Eastside Mario's at one point in time. So Yeah, if you can do it, if you can serve and serve well there in like a full section... Um, yeah, you're the, the time management and the multitasking time management specifically, um, is, is more than anywhere that I've ever worked or even seen anywhere. Like the amount of times you touch the table as a server is outrageous. Like, like, I feel like people should be saying you got to get away from my table. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe uh, when this is all over, I'll see if they're hiring because I could do some work <laughs> on my game for sure. So. <laughs> um, okay, so you move up a little bit in that. You, well, you kind of get more involved in the corporation side of it, right? Rather yeah. than specifically stuck with uh, Eastside Marriott. So let's talk a little bit about that, how that happened. So what they do is, uh, or what they use, so this is a company that's now been bought out. So it was Prime Restaurants at the time. Um, and what they do is they sort of send out a notification to franchisees saying, we have a, a new store opening and do you have, um, there's a training process. You have to become a certified trainer within your store. So you have to do so many train, you have to train so many uh, new hires within your own restaurant before um, you can qualify. If I can stop you right there, yeah. actually, I think that's an excellent idea because I cannot tell you how many places I have worked in my life where we get a new person on staff and I was like, they're having that person train them. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? And it's just probably because they just happened to be on shift together at the time. That was yeah. the shift that they started. So it's just like, okay, you go train them. Like, a certified trainer is an actually good idea. Yeah. And often um, I, I find just speaking to that a little bit, I find that managers will, if they don't have that kind of training experience, will schedule new hires just solely based on their availability, as opposed to I'm scheduling you, scheduling you with the person that I want to train you, right. which is yeah, how they, yeah, they don't think be. about it. Yeah. Right. And, and sketch, you didn't get you trained, you know, we'll figure it out when you come in. Yeah. So yeah, that sort of learning curve for me, um, understanding and building those training schedules and, and sticking to it because managers hate training, staff hate training, everybody hates it, yeah, but it is, it. it's a necessary evil. And if oh. you do it properly, um, then it's easier. And well, and I will tell you this, almost anybody I know who got really good at this job and decided to do it for their career can point to one person who trained them so yeah. well that that's, that that's how they became good. And I've seen it from the other side, too, where people are like, like, new hires are like, would tell me later, oh, thank God you had that person train me because I learned so much and now I'm so much better and gone on to other jobs and, and done better because of the person who trained them properly the first time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, absolutely. And honestly, even at, in advanced ages, also, if you've been in this business for a long time, if you go to a new spot, because everybody's, the, the job's the same, essentially, yeah. everywhere you go, but every spot does it differently. So 
Yeah. If you're not trained properly, even at the new spot you go to, you're, it puts you behind the eight ball right away. Yeah. And there's, yeah, you're right. The job is the job, right? Like, don't be a dick and, yeah. you know, be fast. <laughs> Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I think you just summed it up better than anyone ever on this show. <laughs> so, yeah, like, I think, you know, have some common sense, but, but you're right. And the other thing is making people feel comfortable because you know what it's like going into yes. a brand new restaurant. Um, it's clicky. There's, you know, you don't know what's going on. People first are people. Like, yeah. you know. it's, first, it's first day of high school every time. Yeah. Absolutely. So to have that one person that makes you feel comfortable for that first little while while you're there, like this is this is my person um, is important. And it's how you keep staff. Yes. Yep. A hundred percent. Or lose you. them if, yeah. if you need to. <laughs> so we so we went down a rabbit hole there, but that's what we do on the show. Yeah, sorry. Uh, no, that was me. <laughs> I, uh, so you get the Obviously, you were already a certified trainer there. And that's so yeah. when this notice comes out, you're like, why don't I give that a shot? So I have to, you know, beg my franchisee um, and say, this is, you know, something that I really want to do and whatever. And then, um, you know, you go through that whole process and you send in your resume to the head office and they, the franchisee has to sign off. You have to want to do it. And then head office signs off. So the very first one that I did um, was in Barrie, Ontario. Mm. Uh, and I trained the hostesses. So, uh, so not and I the, had never been a hostess. <laughs> and probably not the exotic locale you were hoping for for mm. your first gig. <laughs> no, no. But yeah. Um, but I made some great relationships, and a lot of those people, um, certainly the trainers that I worked with, and a number of them had been doing a bunch of them, and and they they were in a transition period too. Um, their sort of training department. Um, so I caught the tail end of like a VP and so stuff shifted around and all these things, but basically I made some good relationships and I obviously did a good job. Um, cause I kept getting called back uh, to be more and more and more. Uh, and then as it sort of continued on, um, I just kept saying, can I have that job? Can I have that job? Can I have that job? And so, uh, like, can we talk a little bit about the, the sort of the behind the scenes part of this? So if they send, because I've never known anyone who's done this before. I've always thought it was a fascinating job because I knew it existed. But, um, like, behind the scenes. So you go, like, let's just talk about, can we just talk about a day in your life during this time? A, when you go to the new city, uh, they put you up in a hotel? Yes. And do you have, like, a food stipend or, like... Or are you so yes um i'm trying to remember how it was at the very beginning things changed a little bit um for the most part you are expected to eat at the restaurant twice a day i guess that makes sense no yeah. <laughs> um it's, it's part of how it goes um so you know i haven't stepped inside inside mario's for about you know how we all get sick of the food of the places that we yeah do but i can't even imagine force-fed two meals at the place every yeah. day and and a place that does things the exact same way no matter where you go yeah you do like in that situation when before the restaurants open that's the most exciting because you're allowed to be a little bit creative like we get to be creative you're with you know kitchen trainers there's no staff there so we can kind of do what we want right um but yeah once it rests once the restaurant opens uh you're not allowed to modify or do right. any of those things with your food sure. Okay, so how would your day start? You'd go into the restaurant? Yeah, so, I mean, it's a, it's a big thing. It's a big schedule. Um, 
what they do is they wean you off the trainer. So you basically have trainers for every section. Um, so the front of house is host bar and uh, server trainer. And then um, for Eastside Mario's, there's a lot of kitchen sections. So there's pizza salad, there's saute, there's fried grill, there's prep, there's, you know, all of those things. And then you have a lead trainer um, who trains the management and who's the project manager, because you end up doing a lot of stuff, like, if, especially if it's a new building, you end up taking care of construction things and equipment things and all this stuff. So you show up and there's a group of you and you like bond. Sometimes if you've done it a few times, you know, a bunch of people, mm -hmm. there's always a new trainer or um, a couple of new trainers. Don't so you get to know each other. Um, you probably drink a lot the yeah. night before you start, um, you know, just to get to know everybody. And, um, and then the next day you wake up and it's, you show up and I think the first day I'm trying to remember it's been a while, but the first day, first couple of days is like uh, equipment arrival. So, and small wares, that's the big thing. So all of the plates and all of the like cutlery, like everything arrives and you're responsible for putting it away and setting up the restaurant. Sometimes it's tables and chairs. Sometimes it's like kitchen equipment sometimes. And then food has to arrive. So you have to put that away and it's all inventory. And you're doing that with, the franchisees and the managers because ultimately it's their responsibility, but they're, you're there to assist. Again, kind of show them the best way to do it because you've yeah. been at a million of these restaurants already. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, and so I did want to ask you about just to back up a little bit here and talk about these pre night parties. <laughs> I can imagine this is like getting back to summer camp every, yeah. <laughs> or, or your first night before high school, like, these must have been pretty blowout affairs in the hotel. So, <laughs> so there's stories. There's lots of stories. Um, the first night, maybe not so much. I think the first night we go out for dinner with the managers. I think that's it. So the whole training team goes out for dinner with the managers and the franchisees. And, you know, because you're going to be working with these people for mm -hmm. a month or so. Um, so that's not too bad. But then we go back to the hotel. And, you know, the first day... Um, People are starting, and it depends on where they're coming from. Maybe they're coming from all over the country. So they've actually flown in or, you know, different things. Um, but as the weeks progress, the parties get bigger or later yeah. or more. <laughs> and probably as, as you're going along as well, your, your days aren't nearly as busy by the back end of it as they are at the start end. So you can uh, take the parties later. Uh, yeah, it just, depends. It totally yeah. depends. Um, it depends on the restaurant. It depends on the location. Most of them are smoking busy the minute you open the doors because it's the hot new thing in town, right? Um, so, and it depends on how much staff. Like I remember we did one in um, St. Albert, Alberta. And uh, it was right in the middle of the employment crisis in Alberta. We had no staff. Like no, there was good. no staff. Yeah. So when we opened, we actually opened with half the restaurant closed, half the sections closed off. Um, and I think I actually worked bar, um, which was like unheard of. You're not supposed to work a, a section as a trainer. Right. Um, I actually worked bar for three or four shifts. Um, and I didn't have a day off in six weeks. And I worked uh, about 16 hours a day. Jesus Christ. But the parties were still the same. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, without selling anybody out, can you think of uh, one uh, like 
specifically funny memory from one of these parties to tell us? Oh. If, if you can't remember any of them, that's fine, because I don't remember anything. Oh, no, it's, it is hard to remember. I'm trying to remember. I think um, we, had a, we had to send a few people home um, for super inappropriate things. Um, <laughs> so I think somebody did a backflip off the dresser in the hotel room and broke their arm or something. I think that oh. happened. Uh, I think there was, uh, I think actually a manager from one got fired before we even opened, um, for sexually harassing, a, a trainer. Well, yeah, you know, that was going to come into play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially at that time so, the... you know, like, I think there's, I'm trying to remember if there's some real, like, I know there are, and I used to have so many, but it's been quite a while, but That's there's fair. definitely, um, you know, you know, if you work with these people, it's like the... The environment of a restaurant where you work with those people so often and you're so close to them, but multiply it because you're eating and sleep it, sleeping together yeah. and, uh, you know, working oh. together for for a month. So how does that work? There's probably two people to a hotel room? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. So that's it. And you don't know who your roommate's going to be necessarily. No. Sometimes, like I said, sometimes there's repeat trainers. So, you know, them and like, you know, I developed lots of friendships. Um, could you request this person if you knew they were going to be there or is it just whatever they give? If they you give were you? the boss, you could. Yeah. Or That's why I became the boss really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you could make a trade. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. for sure you can. And at the time, right? Like this was at a time where you could still smoke in hotel rooms. So, oh, yeah, so, and you know, we we're all smokers, right? Or some like most of us yeah. were. So, we'd always put smokers together smokers, and non smokers yeah. together, that kind of thing, right? So, yeah, okay. So, would there be a like, I'm sorry, I find this really fascinating. Maybe I'm getting into really far into the details of this, <laughs> but okay. uh, do you I feel like I'm telling secrets of the trainer life? But, but that's what this show is about, Martin. I know. We always, <laughs> what we always said when we were doing it is that we should really, really make this a reality show because it was, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. But like, oh, so we're is there a form that you would fill out saying like smoke I smoke or I don't smoke or you just figure that shit out when no you we just knew each other and we would ask certain questions and okay yeah towards the end um like when I was putting stuff together I knew who everybody was and if there was a new person then I would just sort of like you, you interview them over the phone mm -hmm. um and you sort of get a feeling or a vibe from them or they're coming from um, a restaurant where you know the franchisee so you can actually ask the franchisee like what do you think like you think they would get along with this person or that person or whatever so so at some point you become sort of in charge of this whole training operation like tell me exactly what that job is what it entailed so um yeah it sort of started a, a couple of different things so you have uh, so host trainer so I did all of the training I did all of the front of house training um at individual restaurants. Uh, and then you become, and then there's a front of house lead. So the front of house lead trainer is in charge of the front of house trainer. So you have a back of house lead and a front of house lead. And um, so you have a schedule of training, you have training programs and all of these things. And you have all of this like orientation days and people come in and you have menu tastings. Like it's a big, big affair, right? Um, and so, you, you know, you train them on step of service, they write tests, they do all these things. And, and it's, it's a bit like being on stage. Like you get up and you present to all of these new wide eyed little servers <laughs> who are yes. ready to learn from you. Right. Um, so you do that. And then, um, Oh, sorry. I do. I, I did. There was something I wanted to ask you about that actually, before we move on to this, uh, cause I was thinking also, it must feel like you're 
like a lot of the people that you're are coming in to train are very young because this is like their first service job. They don't know shit about shit. And also they're young and like the older we get, the more annoying the youth get. So (laughs) it must have been like being a supply teacher some days. Absolutely. It for sure was. Um, We had a couple of incidents, like people used to, you know, after you work with people for a a while, so your your fellow trainers, um, there was always, you always knew things that were going to happen. So on the first day, for example, um, we would all take bets uh, who Martine was going to make cry first. So everybody (laughs) would take somebody and um, that would be that. And then when that happened, you know, someone would yell, we've got our first crier, right? Like it, it always happened. And which um, guy's going to be the smart ass. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> at some point, uh, you have to, you realize that, as you say, they don't know anything about anything. And you have to teach them how to carry plates. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. so, yeah. So you just, you take them and then there's always somebody that gets taken under somebody's wing. There's always somebody, you always, the other thing is you always lose a few during sure. orientation and training week, right? Like they go, mm, yeah, this isn't for me. Or you you say, or you say, "Mm, yeah, this isn't for you. (laughs) You're not for me. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, So yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's, it's a whole bunch of people and, and they're all different. Uh, And I think truthfully, that's where sort of my management style now has come from um, is being able to be flexible in, in teaching and, and leading people based on how they learn as opposed to how I manage or how I teach. That's a great point. And it's one thing I've tried to develop in my own leadership style, opening places and being the owner or being manager of places. I, yeah. I, I once, I, I once read a book by Phil Jackson of all people, uh, who was saying that people say, Oh, you got to treat everybody the same. But actually when it comes to like running a team in his case, or a bar or a restaurant in our place, it, it in our sense is that that's couldn't be more false. You have to treat everybody differently because everybody learns differently. Everybody has different personalities. Everybody needs to be handled differently. Some people need to get kicked in the ass. Some people need to get the kid glove treatment. And and the job of a good manager, owner, whatever it is, is to figure out who needs what. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's just it, right? And so I often see um, managers now who are struggling and, and, you know, their teams are disjointed or there's things and I'm like, because you're you're not, I, I get it, but you've signed up for this job. So you're a glorified babysitter and yeah. you're a leader and you're a motivator. And that's, that's what you're supposed to be doing mm-hmm. here. Um, that's what they're paying you to do. That's what yeah. your boss is paying you to do. Or as an owner, that's, that's how you're going to, you know, develop your business. And, and yes, this person might need their hand held a little bit more than this person, but that's the way it goes, right? And, and that's on us to figure this out. It's like, don't, so everyone doesn't need to be treated the same, but they all need to treat, be treated equally. Yes. And if, if you keep that in your mind, then that's kind of the way to do it. Like, don't give, you can't give anybody special treatment or worse treatment, but you do need to give them the, the specific treatment they need. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And, and those skills for sure came from, you know, being a trainer um, and doing that job at Eastside Mirrors. and. Sure. and figuring that out and learning that and, you know, and adult learning is a whole other thing than, you know, being a teacher, right? Like, Oh, hundred percent. Like we, yeah, all, we know everything said, at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and as you said, there's, you know, you're working with generally a bunch of young people, but there's always a little group 
of the, you know, mature or experienced trainers and they come in and they're harder. Because yeah, because they, they can't be taught anything anymore. That's right. Yeah. I already know how I'm a server. I'm good at it. You don't need to teach me this. I'm like, okay, I'm not teaching you how to serve. I'm teaching you how to serve here. Yeah, I'm teaching you how we do things here. Yeah. It's different. Like, and and I, I, as the older I got, and especially um, I got out of my one business that I owned and moved to opening a new one. In, in the interim, I needed jobs. Right? right and to because I needed money to open the next place and and to just live and I found myself back in that and I had to check myself a little bit it's like hey fuck man I know you know how to do your job but that doesn't mean you know how they want you to do it right you know what I mean you have to kind of get to that point and sometimes you you offer your suggestions a little too forcefully but sometimes you just need to fall in line and figure that out you know oh yeah and when I first started like I was pretty young right like I was a manager I was in my 20s I was doing you know I was I was pretty young for that particular you know corporate job um so yeah I was probably a little aggressive I was probably you know quote unquote bitchy whatever right (laughs) like um my first supervisor job they called me power trip kip what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but that's but that in itself is the learning curve, right? Now I manage, and I'm like, oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But now, yeah, and you because you realize just like everything in life, the lo- the older you get, the more experience you get, the le- the more you realize that not every little fucking thing matters. Yeah. So you can just dial it back, dial back your own personality a little bit, dial back your style of doing it, and just be like, okay. Yes, I need to drill this point in, but I don't need to be so harsh and I, it, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. And realize that people are people, right? And that's that's one of the things, um, you know, I, I was interested in talking to you guys about too, is that I think there needs to be a, a shift in our industry. Um, you know, like kindness is kindness and, and the way that even still restaurants treat people, not restaurants, but like people are treated and, and jokes and, uh, you know, all of those things like that stuff wouldn't fly in any other industry except for ours. And, and it, so yeah, there and has to be sometime somewhere a shift, right? Like we don't, it doesn't need to be that way. No, I, I, I do feel it's happening slowly. And, yeah. but it seems like in our industry specifically, it's happening at a snail's pace where, yeah, like just like you say, the stuff that actively goes on behind the scenes in our industry right now would not be tolerated in any corporate climate in the world. And yet it's still one billion times better than it was even 10 years yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah, like, absolutely. Right. So like I left, I left Canada, came back and definitely the environment is better. Mm-hmm but it's still not good. No. Like I went back to work in Canada and went, wow, you guys are still talking like this. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, it, that it's, we do need to eliminate all of that. I agree with you. I mean, I'm glad you brought it up because, but I, I always think all the time, like my salad days in the industry back in my twenties, the shit that went on behind the scenes and right out in the open yep. back then was yeah. like people smoking behind the bar while they're working, grabbing asses, talking about sucking dicks to like and in front of guests yes (laughs) like i'm not saying what was happening back in the kitchen because sometimes that stuff still happens now for sure 
Yeah, but it. Well, I was talking like right out in the open for all the guests to hear. Yeah, and I think <laughs> I think that there needs to be something because we're so as front of house, we are so on when you're in the front, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're on, no matter what, whether it's fine dining or or cat, like it's still you are on stage and you're yeah, in front. You're, of a, you're acting in a play. Yeah. And so then when you go back and you're eating shit with a smile, let's be real about it. You're eating shit. Oh, with every, <laughs> every day that you punch the clock. Yeah. And so when you walk back into that kitchen, that's your moment to say everything that you've built up while you're out. Oh there. my God. That's where I, that's where I lived <laughs> back in the day. And my, honestly, I swear to God, I, when I worked at Ethel's, the people in the kitchen thought I was probably this psycho who was going to snap like a mass murder on everybody in there at one yeah. point because they only heard me talk like that because I saved everything up and then just let it out when I got there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I, and I still find myself doing it. Like I, try I still tell and, my staff to do that sometimes. Just well, and you have to. That's what I mean. There has to be an outlet because mm-hmm. we're asking people to be perfect all the time right. when they're out front. Yeah. Right? Like that's, are, that's our ask. And we are human beings. <laughs> for sure for sure yeah. but i think it's more about the the um the co-worker relationship kind yeah. of stuff so that tell me specifically well i think we're, we've hit the root of like what needs to change well, how do we do it i think that's a great question um you know i i think that uh step one personally for me just because it's my own experience is I think managers need to be trained in the ability to train in in that certain way, right? So ability to shift their management style and be okay with it and, you know. And you're specifically qualified to talk about that because you've spent a life training people, right? So Right. Yeah. So, for, so for me, that's my experience, I think, because out of that become, comes kindness, right? So right. you... you shift your focus because it's not about you it's about you training this person right now and so me as a manager i would hope that my superior would do the same thing and it's that whole trickle down effect of of being able to do those things and because it has to come from the management because the staff always just follow suit right like the environment is created by your manager or your owner, or your, you know what I mean? Like that, that's what it is. And so it has to be. Yeah, sorry. I don't want to pick on them because I'm a front of house person, but this culture from these old school chefs who feel like the way Jamie Oliver talks to people is the way you're supposed to do it. Did I say the right guy? No, Gordon Ramsay. No, Gordon Ramsay. But I I knew it meant, yeah. I don't know. I don't know celebrity chefs very well, but uh, but I I know they all think they're celebrities. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But that culture has been passed down for decades. So that's just it. So it's the the shift between, you know, and it's so there's all these divides and chasms, right, in in the restaurant industry. And what you're talking about is the divide between front and back of house, right? Yes. And then you have divides between, like, night and day shift. Yes. Or servers and bartenders. Or, you know what I mean? Like there's there's all these things and everybody thinks that there are managers and staff, whatever. And everybody thinks that they're working harder. Everybody thinks that their job is harder. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks that their hours are longer and that this person's not pulling their weight and all of those things. But where that comes from 
is managers. And so a lot of times stuff happens, for example, on a day shift that um, affects the night shift. But unless the managers communicate that, um, you know, that gossip is still perpetuated. And so it's communication. You have to give your staff the information like, okay, so all of these things didn't get done at the day shift because they got fucking smoked. Yes. Somebody called in sick. All of these things happened that were out of their control. So let's all be team players here and we're going to help them and we're going to pick up the slack because we're not as busy tonight as they were during the day or vice versa, like whatever that situation. Or sometimes everybody's busy and you just have to figure it out. Or sometimes we all just have to look at each other and go, just get through the slime and the slop and the muck and the weeds and just get through it. And at the end of it, we'll have a beer. And I got you and you got me. Like it's it's supposed to, I blame you and you blame me. That's right. I'm here. If you need me show up, show your face. I'm here. That's what you're here for. So how do we get, how do we do it, Martine? Like, how do we get this across to people? It obviously starts, like you were saying, I completely agree. It starts from the top down. And I can also completely agree with you that things definitely need to change from the HR harassment type stuff, the talking, the gossiping, the clicking that happens in all these places. And also what you're talking about is like the blame game, the like all of that stuff needs to get cleaned up. And, and again, we've come a long way from like when sure. people like you and I started in the business, but uh, the, and probably even more so for me, uh, but, uh, the, um, but we're still a long way from where we need to be. So would you advocate for, let's say, a, some sort of a, well, I mean, union is one thing we could talk about or some sort of a conference uh like we can do everything over zoom now right this is yeah. one thing this pandemic has taught us that we're talking over zoom right now like maybe you can have zoom chats or something like that i'm just throwing out ideas right now i'm more interested in what you have to say about i think that. i think it's great i think those ideas are great and i agree with you um you know for a long time i've i think we all have ideas right and so i think for a long time i've been trying to figure out what to do how to do it what do i want to do with my life you know i'm pretty good at a lot of stuff not super great at, you know, one thing. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's um, that's what being in this industry is all about. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but I, I agree. And, and I think a conference idea is a great idea. I think coming up with some sort of program, um, like actual physical, uh, put it down on paper, have something that someone can bring into their environment, have somebody come in and just say, because we know as well, like, having a fresh set of eyes is sometimes a, a big change. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think bigger than that, people have to be ready to accept. Them. And so if I, so for example, if I came in and I was your consultant and I said, I'm going to come in and I'm going to, I'm going to try and help you navigate these waters because it's, you know, your environment's toxic, things are going on. You have to be able to accept the change because mm-hmm. what happens is, is especially in, in long established restaurants, um, it just, it just keeps going and going and going because, you know, you keep the people who are doing the same thing over again. You have to cut your losses sometimes. And yes. sometimes people, people, so. it has to, it's sometimes a person. This person isn't working in your environment anymore. 
and we're it's tough in Canada because we have a lot of laws. But <laughs> okay, I think that's an interesting thing to say though, because sometimes like it's the bad apple that does spoil the bunch, the proverbial bad apple. But um, and sometimes I like I've certainly worked in places. I'm sure you have as well, where clearing one fucking toxic person out of the room and i'm sure this happens in every industry can make all the difference you know just to and and often to really make a top-down difference it can be someone in management that's the problem right so maybe to trace like it's what you're saying training the the upper level uh management supervisors whatever first and then if, if if you still have a problem there Yeah. Well, and I think some of it, a lot of it comes from, um, to another idea would be a a real, real management training program. Um, Like a universal one. A universal or, or yeah, something that's just, that focuses on, you know, the different styles of learning and not just like, don't tell me that I need to manage by walking the room. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like whatever that, or whatever that saying is, I'm sure yeah, yeah. thousands of us have heard it, right? Like, yeah. um, but more about as a manager and sometimes the clear defined roles, right? In different restaurants or different things. Some people want their manager to get behind the bar or want them to serve tables or want them to do this. But is that what you're paying them to do? Right. And, right? and I also, when you said about clear defining roles, um, this is a, a sports reference to this, but they've discovered in many cases in, for instance, baseball, where it really shouldn't matter where you hit in the lineup as long as you get a hit, that certain people are more comfortable hitting in one of those numbers in the lineup. So if you know going into a restaurant or bar scenario what your manager has been asked to do specifically, maybe that helps you do your better job better as well, right? For like sure. you know, okay, in this place, the manager comes behind the bar. Yeah. and helps out in this place the manager is not involved in that right Right, and i'm not saying either one is right or wrong no, like but restaurants are all works. different right yeah, yeah sure. and figure out what um, works but make it the thing for sure and i and i think because a lot of times which is is no problem and and i'm one of them you know managers are managers in restaurants are people based on experience um, and not necessarily some sort of formal education oh, in sure, that yeah. role. And so to be able or sort of grandfathered in or you have seniority, so we're going to move you on to a manager. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a good manager. It just means you're the oldest server. Sure. I, truer words were never spoken right? about the service industry. <laughs> uh, and I think maybe that's a good start, though, Martine. Like maybe let's think about having a universal management training program where you would have a certificate like we do. And this is something we're going to get into talking with you about as well in your own experience. Like for instance, if you get into the wine training uh, and wine education uh, field, then there are certificates that you get as you move up the ladder or whatever. And if somebody has that on their resume, oh, I attained such and such level in the restaurant, bar, hotel, service industry, management, uh, edu- like classes, whatever, right. scholastically, then you then you know where they sit, and like, and also would help with your pay structure. To be honest with you, I really like that we're just coming up with a business plan during this. 
<laughs> that's <laughs> great. Uh, to, to be honest with you, right now I desperately need a job, so maybe that's what Me it's too. about. Me too. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, uh, that was that's really interesting to talk about. I think there's lots of um, lots of interesting ideas we can further discuss. And maybe we'll do it on, off air at some yeah. point. But I do want to get more talking about you and your career because that's kind of what we do here. So I'm specifically interested in. Now you've moved on to this high level of training and right. in prime. And then at some point you make a move to kind of go set up your own business in Honduras. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, so it's a really, really long story. So I'm going to keep it as short as I possibly yeah. can. We don't um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my family had a, a place in Honduras, like a land property. Um, my stepdad owned this place, built a what he was going to have be his retirement home. Um, and so a few things happened. And uh, the government did a study in this little town. It's a town on the mainland, and it's in this beautiful little bay. And they did a study, and they got um, basically seeing which which ports along the coast would be uh, the most environmentally, financially, all of these things sound for a cruise ship port. And so this town was basically perfect. Um, or the, at least the water in the bay was. So because we had been vacationing there for so long, um, they asked us to come in and uh, help them with tourism. Because as much as, you know, physically... Uh, they could take a cruise ship, which we later found out physically they couldn't either, but that's the whole other thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, this, this is like a dirt poor third world country that we're talking about. They don't yeah. understand an influx of North American or European um, clientele. Tourism. They wouldn't yeah. know what to do with that. And just to, just to step in there, how many, what would be the population of this town we're talking about? So it's 30,000, um, but that's, all outlying um, little towns and communities and things like that. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, it's the jungle. Yeah, yeah, and then and then a whole cruise ship full of uh, Tommy Bahama wearing exactly Americans show Ooh. up and yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and we're talking about like you know their restaurants on the beach are you know Hot. maybe the toilets flush today, maybe yeah. there's toilet paper in them. Um, oh wait, does the toilet actually flush into the ocean? Because that might be happening too. Like, uh, there's a lot of a lot of factors and and infrastructure um, that's just not in place. Uh, so, anyways, this is years and years ago, and they said, you know, we'd really like you to help us with tourism and all of these things. And so, um, a couple of things happened, but um, basically an opportunity presented itself uh, that was just more about experience and being a part of something really cool. Uh, so um, I moved down there full time, I think in 2010. I don't know, I sent you my bio. I feel like you know better than I do. But, <laughs> uh, I think it was about- uh, I, I can check the dates, but it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, something like that. Um, moved down there in 2010, a number of things happened. We partnered up with some really great people. Um, Specifically, and I'll, I'm going to plug her a little bit, Shannon so, McKee, who is um, who's a cruise ship uh, executive for a number of years who started her own business uh, and called Access Cruise. And so we partnered with her for our tour company. Basically, from scratch, we built a, um, a cruise ship port 
the first mainland cruise ship port in Honduras, because there's one on an island in the island of Roatan. Um, first mainland cruise ship port. Uh, we built a um, restaurant, beach club, animal rescue center, orchard, plantation, and then had a tour company to bring everybody to all Holy those shit. So, so when you say we, um, who are we talking about? Who's the we? Uh, obviously you're highly involved in a lot of the organization of this, but the money is coming from. So a number of different places, lots of it was, um, uh, our own, like our, you know, my stepdad put a lot of his own money into it. We also have different investors. As I say, we partnered with Shannon, um, on the, on the, um, uh, tour company. So it's called banana coast tours. And, uh, the the cruise ship port, for example, was was built by investors. So that okay. was uh, a, an investment company that. Um, so lots of different investors, and most of them are Canadian. Uh, really? So that's kind of where the money. But the maintenance, all of that stuff, was all was all my stepdad. Um, oh shit! And so this is a huge undertaking. Um, and what is your what would you consider your specific role in all of it? So I had a couple of specific roles, but uh, the original the original thing was for me to run the restaurant and beach club and the park system, right, which was so all in the same area, because that's my area of expertise. That's what you do. Right? Yeah. That's yeah. what I do. Yeah. So that was my thing. Um, and it evolved into doing the 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 tour um, the tour company stuff and sort of operating and logistics of those things, which was super cool. I had a lot of fun with that. Like um like spreadsheets and math and these buses go here at different times and this many people. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, but yeah, so for the most part, it was restaurant beach club. And then all of a sudden I had uh, 47 rescued animals that I had to take care of as well and figure out how to do that. So I was like, maybe I should have gone to school to be a vet. That would have been super helpful now. I have a question, but you yeah, have one. Yeah, so. out of curiosity, how much oversight did the local government or the Honduras government have with this? Or, like, did they have any influence at all? Or did they just kind of let you go, like, just do what you wanted? Or It's a really good question. Um, a lot of it, we tried to have them as involved as possible. Um, and, quite frankly, have them as involved monetarily as possible. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's a poor country, right? Yeah. Um, so trying to get funding, trying to do things like that. We ha we did have to do a lot of it ourselves, but uh, it's also, um, there's a lot of red tape there. So, so you have well, to have I was going to ask you about that because I, I, and I'm just, sorry to interrupt you really quickly, but it, it was one of the questions I want to ask you about this because I was once in um, Costa Rica and this guy from the U.S., I think he was from Texas, had built a sports bar right in the middle of the rainforest. And I was like, this is like, it's, what a dream gig. Like they, yeah. all the tourists who come there, they can't, they've been cut off from American sports for however long that they're down there. And they just want to go and watch, like I watched an NFL playoff game in the middle of the jungle and, yeah. and <laughs> crushed beers and Jägermeisters, right? I was obviously <laughs> younger, but <laughs> but uh, yeah. But he, I asked him about that too, because I was like, sounds like the dream life. And I knew I always wanted to open a, my own place. I'm like, should I, should I even be thinking about doing it in Canada? And so I asked him and he was, he said, honestly, it was 100% easier to open a bar here. He used to own a place in the U.S. than it was in the U.S. because of all the red tape. And I personally can't 
fathom a scenario where there's more red tape than right here in Kitchener, Ontario, where I've opened <laughs> two places. So, I, so can we talk about that a little bit? I agree. I think I think it depends on what you're doing, right? We're talking about opening a bar, opening a restaurant. Honestly, that was the easy part. That really was. Okay. Um, you know, and luckily they started to do things like have health inspections and, and have things like that, which, you know, we all sort of roll our eyes at, but was better for the country. Oh, of, of course. <laughs> for sure. Like, look, deep down, we know we need it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, the restaurant, those kinds of things, that was easier. Um, for the most part, the third world country, if you have the money, they'll kind of let you do whatever you want. It's when right. you need their help that things get difficult. Okay. So, and is that a shakedown or? No, 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 not necessarily. It's, um, no, I don't mean that. Uh, it could be, I think sometimes it could be. Sure. Uh, for sure. There's definitely corruption there. Um, but it's more about, um, I, I think, and I'm going to say this, but as a culture, they have a, a hard time understanding the big picture. Mm. Yeah, so I'm making a generalization here. Look, I think um, it's fair to say without us offending anyone in, in, a, in a third world country, you're living day to day. So why would you be thinking about the big picture? Right, that's, exactly. That's just logical. That's that's absolutely correct. You, you are concerned about how you're going to feed your family for dinner tonight. Right. Not how you're going to feed them next week. Yes. That's that's. That's how you've grown up. That's how you. That just fucking makes sense. Yeah. That's it. So having a, a conversation and having a business plan about the future, um, that's when it gets hard. Okay. Because unless you can, unless you can show me something, um, you know, show me this tangible thing right now, or show me this money right now, they don't, they don't really respond. Um, or it takes a long, it just takes longer. It's not that it doesn't happen. It just takes longer. Well, trying to convince them that like, okay, we have $10 today, but we might have 10 times that two weeks from now. Right. And they're like, but I would really like $10 today. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So it sounds like you were overseeing quite a lot there. Did you, do you feel like you were in, I mean, it also sounds like a cool spot to live. So do you your experience there were you enjoying it or was it just too much work to enjoy or uh that depends on the day for sure um you know eventually it got eventually it it wore me down Mm. i would say um but you know there were days like when the cruise ships pulled in and all of those people came and and as hard and as busy as those days were like it was magical it really was it was you know, something you've created that's so huge um, was was really, really spectacular. And and it is it's gorgeous. It's the jungle. And and truthfully, the the majority of people that live there and the people that worked for us um, were amazing and kind and lovely and and wanted us to succeed as much as they wanted to succeed themselves. And you know, it was, it was an amazing experience that I would never want to give up. Um, and I think that, that I, get, I get that too, because I think that all of us in this industry, at the end of the day, we all bitch about our jobs. We all complain about everything. Some people are in it just for the hours and the money. I get that. They are, yeah. they don't tend to be the people who last or if they do, they're that bitter person you work with. But um, the, what generally we like about it is like, 
and I don't mean to make this sound too cheesy, but it's like the look of delight on the guest's face when at the end of the experience, right? Like where they yeah. can, where you really can tell that they came out for a night, spent their hard-earned money, and then you can see it in their fucking faces that they felt it was worth it and maybe more so. Yeah. Like they got, they might have spent a lot of money and felt like they got a deal. And so I can only imagine showing up, in like, you know, North Americans traveling to somewhere like Honduras, the whole thing is a crazy experience. So if you also nail, like, they're already predisposed to be impressed by the landscape or whatever. Right. But you are offering the extra of now I also may need them to be impressed by the resort. And as we all know, North American tourists... European tourists traveling to a resort can be fucking cantankerous as shit, especially if they do travel for a living and they're used to certain standards or whatever. So how did you find that? How did you find that experience? First of all, the them showing up and being impressed by the place, that must have been a great point of pride for you. But also, how did you find the clientele once they got there and dealing with tourist clientele as opposed to, like straight tourist clientele as opposed to people who live in the city yeah so it's um it's interesting because different cruise ships different cruise lines have different clientele right so it's like fine dining and mcdonald's so do you know ones that when they rolled into that they were like oh fuck yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um so different yeah i mean that's it like some we got some super duper high-end uh cruise ships um where and I'll be honest with you, a lot of those people didn't even get off the ship. Oh, really? Because yeah. they were just used to a higher standard of living. Yeah, and that's and because that's not what we were offering. <laughs> and a lot of them, like a lot of those really high-end ships, are really long cruises too. Like it's not like a week from Miami to Bahamas or whatever. Like it's they're long, long cruises, and a lot of these people are are on there for months at a time, so they don't get off at every every port. Yeah, yeah, and they've been to a bunch already, so exactly. Yeah. Um, and a lot of tours are the same at every port, right? Like you can ATV, you can zip line, you can snorkel, you can, you know, like a lot of it's the same. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, the clientele is is different. The first year we had. Uh, um, Norwegian cruise line passengers that came out of Houston. That sounds awful already. (laughs) It wasn't, it wasn't. Honestly, they were super fun. They were fun and they spent money. Well, they probably drank, yeah. And they drank. I'm not really. This show's not about stereotypes, but (laughs) I feel like a bunch of rich people from Houston. (laughs) They might they might drink. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it definitely was a lot, but it was interesting for me because it was, it was, yeah, like, a, it was like having, you've got your, you know, fine dining restaurant ship showing up. And today we have our, you know, McDonald's ship showing up, which all of it was fine. We didn't care as long as they paid for tours. Right. But it, but it does affect your experience as the people serving them, obviously. Yeah, and, and we did have to serve a certain way, right? Like, you know, I was, I didn't have any North American staff. I only had Honduran staff or Central American staff. Um, so training them on 
guest service, customer service, those kinds of things. That was the hard part. Um, they didn't, because they've never had to do that, right? Like here's your fried fish and your rice and beans. And I don't understand why you, you're upset because it's taking too long. This is just how long it takes to cook. Yeah. But, and, I, and I'm just pontificating here, though, but I, I would imagine that they were more eager to learn with less attitude. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, but you're also, yeah, I mean, and that was the other thing, teaching them, finding, finding people who spoke English was really right. Did you need translators or was you just actually just made sure you hired people who had I had to, no, you had to hire people. Well, because they're talking to the customers as well. Talking to, yeah. So I had like a kitchen staff that didn't speak English. Right. And so you have them there as like de facto translators in case you have a hard thing to, a hard point to get across to somebody and the translations is not working. Yeah. Like I was pretty good, but sometimes I like. Yeah. So you speak the language. Yes. Okay, so well, well. Well, I don't know if I do anymore. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, I barely speak English anymore because I've been stuck in um, a quarantine for a few months. So, <laughs> uh, well, uh, that whole experience is just fascinating to me. I do want to get to some of what you've been into since you got back. So we're going to move on yeah. a little bit, if that's okay. But awesome. what? Let talk. Let's talk about what. Uh, like what, what made your decision? What was your decision? What made your decision to come back? Uh, it was pretty simple. Um, I had a kid. Oh, that'll do it. Yeah, that'll do it. Um, so no, I think it was a couple of things. Uh, I was, I was done. I thought I felt like my time there was done. Well, it sounds like Uh, you were working crazy hard. So I get that. Yeah. Yeah. It, and, and not just that, like, I don't know. I, I kind of felt like I was just, just done with that part. Did, did you um, miss like the niceties of being back in North America? Is that fair? Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. I wasn't, I, I didn't want to live in a third world country anymore. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have Amazon delivered to my house. And I wanted, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so, like, yeah. I wanted to just go to the store when I needed to go to the store. And, and yeah. how, long, how long were you there total? Eight years. Eight years. Jesus Ooh. Christ. That's a long time. Yeah. yeah. It and is. Is, is the resort still there? Yep. Yeah, wow. it's still there. Um, so when I left, we had somebody take over operations. My parents are still there. Um, they live there uh, in the winter. And they actually come back to Ontario uh, and live on their boat for the summer. Nice. Um, they're still in Honduras now because they can't get home, though. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so and a number of things. And, and a couple of things happened uh, in terms of... Um, like we had uh, a drop in in numbers for cruise ships coming and stuff like that, so it wasn't as busy as it was, uh, and so we sort of needed to to figure out how to work with that. And when I when we left, uh, I I never said, "Oh, I'm not coming back." I, it was right. just I need to go back to Canada and do some stuff, and if things change, if you know. We may go back there at some point, but like, and, and maybe they don't need you so much at that time. You've already yeah. you've been there for eight years. You trained everybody up. They're not as busy. Do you know what was the driving force behind the dip in business at all? Or can you put your finger on it? Um, I think you know. I think it's a number of things. The the cruise ship industry itself really changed. Um, that uh, that particular ship that came out of. Um, Houston, uh, mm. they closed that port, like they changed a bunch of stuff that didn't really happen. So 
Um, I think just a number of things changed. And actually, it started to pick back up again for this year. And then that changed again. Yeah, yeah. Of this. Yeah, so yeah. it's just, I think that uh, uh, the cruise ship industry, so they change their itineraries generally every couple of years. So as that itinerary changes, depending on where you're going, um, like they do east-west itineraries. And so we just had a dip in the, you know, a bunch of cruise ships were going to a bunch of different places that were too similar to us as well. Um, so they just didn't make that stop. So um, they, like a bunch of them were going to come this year and well, obviously they're not doing that, but. Right. Okay. So I do want to, so you come back and uh, I want to talk about, uh, I have an interesting question to ask you about because we've, I want to talk about your wine credentials. Obviously, it's a big part of who you are and what you do now. Um, but I, I would like to talk about it in a slightly different way, if that's okay with you. Because sure. we've had so many people come on the show who are really into wine, um, myself included. Um, but what what is it that you think does this to all of us? That's a great question. Um, I like to say, so I've sort of started a thing that I had started doing or, or had thought about even when I, when I was still in Honduras was starting my own blog, um, which seems weird, whatever. Um, and I think uh, quarantine has allowed us all to do some of those things that we wanted to do. Yeah. So one of the things that it says in my blog was I was able to uh, take my really like irreverent love for just drinking copious amounts of wine and make it socially acceptable by being educated about it. Okay. That's an excellent way to put it. I think I honestly, you, you're hitting a lot of shit on the head here, Martin. but that's uh, you should have a blog. I'm glad you do <laughs> uh, because I, I couldn't agree with that more because I feel like that's something. Okay. So I'm going to just bloviate for a little bit here, but there's a stretch. We, I, I feel like people uh, in in and around my age group, and uh, um, I'm not sure how old you are, but I feel like we're not that far apart, maybe. But um, we, we there's a, a guilt associated with making this your career. So if you're gonna do it and and not just tell people, well, I like to do it because I like to travel and make cash, like then you have to have a reason why you keep doing it. And you either get passionate about, well, there's a new, there's a new um, passion on the scene, which is craft cocktailing. Right. But maybe slightly before that, it was very much getting into wine. And, and I also think it, it, it parallels with your, maybe only your own personal adventure of getting into wine, right? So you, like, you tend to want to study the things that you're actually interested in. The other thing is the people who couldn't get over the guilt, they they tend to go to the same jobs all the time. There was like, when I was growing up in this, in this industry, if you got tired of feeling guilty about being in the service industry and making that your career, you would try and be a teacher. And then it became real estate agent. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. There were like jobs that you would go to. Yeah. And then, um, but if you decide to stick with it, you needed to give yourself a reason to allow yourself to do that. And uh, and I'm not putting I'm not trying to put words in your mouth in any way. I'm I'm mostly talking about myself. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, that's what this podcast is about. <laughs> but, uh, no, uh, but do you do you agree with that? In that that maybe that's a, a, a lot of the reason why so many of us get 
started down this path of education and whatever it is? Um, I actually think that uh, I get, you've hit the nail on the head a little bit. In oh, finally. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think for sure. I think that, you know, we look to, because we have to do something, right? We're away from our families. We work shitty shifts. We, mm-hmm. you know, like all of those things. And it has to mean something. It has to, you have to have something. And quite frankly, we are all, for the most part, most of us are performers and we're narcissists and we're like, oh my God, look at me. I'm so great. And so when, because that's what we're doing when we're out. Yes. Yeah, you're right. At the end of the day, you're right about that. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, when you talk to someone about it, you're going to be like, this is my thing. And wine is great. And it is, and somebody was so smart and was like, hey, I'm going to put together this thing that's going to have these wonderful credentials and um, be really revered. And so people can take these courses and I'm going to make it hard as shit. Let's be real. Cause it yeah. is not easy. Yeah. And, um, and it's something that like the average Joe is interested in as well. So right. like, so if you, especially if you can come to their table and say, I am a sommelier or whatever, whatever right. it is. Right. So yeah. Yeah. So sorry, people like know. titles. That's yeah, it. well, they do. They do. They like but, titles. But, but also, it's, I, and I would like to follow up on what you just said, specifically when you're talking about wine programs, they are hard as fuck. And they get, they get significantly harder with every level. It's like, yes. it seems like it multiplies by 10. In yeah, there's no like transition period. It's like, no. okay, this is, this multiple choice is pretty easy. Bam, write an essay about a random wine from South Africa. Yeah. So people who are listening or not in the service, if one of us motherfuckers comes to your table and tells you they're a sommelier, don't look at it as like the joke guy on the movie. That's right. Adam Sandler movie. Yeah. They, they literally fucking know what they're talking about. Yeah, they really do. And they've worked hard and they've studied a long time. And the thing about wine is that it it's a never ending study. So just because you've got your I'm a sommelier now, unless you keep studying, you're irrelevant. Mm -hmm. right? Like you have to, wine is changing all the time, which I think is one of the things that I, I like about it. And I'll be honest, like I get bored, I get bored really easily. And so I do jobs that, you know, you want me to be your bartender. Okay. I'll do that for a couple months. And then I'm going to need to do something else because I can do this job with my eyes closed. And and, and now I I need to do something else. And Knowing that I just met you tonight, everybody should know that. I feel like just from this conversation, like you wouldn't be satisfied with that and be would be looking for a way to, okay, you want me to do this? Let me find a way to do something different at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That, that so accurately describe you? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're, <laughs> okay. you, again, you're hitting nails on the head a little bit. Right. Even a blind horse, uh, what is uh, <laughs> a not as good as a wink to a blind horse? I don't, I'm yeah. just mixing up metaphors now. Okay. I'm just okay. uh, apparently I'm obsessed with horses and ponies. The, yeah. uh, anyway, so continue. just to be clear though, I am not yet a sommelier. Uh, okay. I was uh, scheduled to take my uh, exam on April 30th. Right. Ooh. So that got canceled. But. Okay. But uh, tell us about the credentials you do have already. So uh, I have W set up to level three. Um, and I think once I have a bit of time and, and get 10 grand in my pocket, I'll probably do the diploma program. 
Because the other thing, just to, to, I'm glad you mentioned that because the other thing that maybe a lot of people who don't work in the service we, or maybe even people who do, who haven't traveled down the road for wine knowledge, this shit's expensive. Yeah. Like it's fucking, like not only is it very, like I stopped just for financial reasons. I, I, yeah. I did a couple courses and then I was just like, okay, I've learned enough that I can make a cool wine list for the places that I open. Yeah. And, and I drink wine all the time because I'm an, a high-functioning alcoholic. But the, but I, um, so, it, and one of the best things that stopped me is how to buy great wine cheaply. But, <laughs> but, but I know enough to do what I need to do. But if you're really passionate about it, you want to move forward, it becomes very expensive. Yes, it does. Um, and one of the things is, is you to be successful, I think, unless you're a serious self-motivator and self-studier, you sort of need to do them consecutively because it's so much information that you're shoving into your brain yeah. um, to take those tests. Like if you take time in between those testing and all of that study and all of that stuff, like you need to keep the momentum going. Or if you take a year off and don't study wine, like you're fucked. It's like learning a language. If you <laughs> yeah. if you like take four months off, you're you're right back to yeah. square one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. No, I 100 percent agree with you. And and wine in many many ways is its own language. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's cool that you're doing that, and uh, and hopefully we all get to the point where you can take that exam, and yeah. that's exciting. Yeah. So, so yeah, so I did W set. I've done. Um, uh, International Sommelier Guild, which uh, I don't think is in Canada anymore, but it was the first one that I actually did, and I started doing it online when I was in Honduras. Actually, oh, cool! Yeah. Um, and 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 uh, that's good. That's a good note for anyone who just wants to get into it. You can do this shit if you got. Oh the yeah, time you can start money. online for sure. Yeah. And I've done a bunch online. Um, I actually just did a sake course. Uh, yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because there's before this all came to. No. <laughs> I don't like sake. <laughs> oh, god damn, I love it. Before this all came down, uh my business partner and I were talking about opening up a sake bar and we got really into sake for a while. Yeah. So, um That's yeah. awesome. I think I think sake is super cool. Like I loved learning about it, but like the tasting, I was like, this isn't my jam. It's very similar to wine though. It's, it is. And I can understand if it's not for you, just like some yeah. people don't like wine. That's yeah. fine. I mean, they're crazy, but that's fine. Right. <laughs> but yeah. sake is a little less crazy. I get why people might not be into it. Yeah. Like, but what, if you get into it, the story of sake is very similar to the story of wine. Yes. Yeah. And the, and the, and that's what's so cool about it, too, is that, you know, I like the science. I like the geography. I like the culture and the history and so it's not just about wine for me. Um, you know, um, my partner now, he lived in Japan for, for four years. And so learning about sake, like I like to talk to him about some of those things and some of those uh, traditions. And, the, and that's just because I don't particularly like the taste of it doesn't mean that I don't appreciate it. Right. And, and like, I really think it's super interesting. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you said that because I have two things to say about that. First of all, uh, pairing back to what I was saying, that wine is about tradition sake is about tradition there's uh, probably maybe maybe any spirit if you really get down to it maybe yeah. i maybe i haven't said enough about them but but they but all everything that we drink is about the tradition of what it got to us to this point just like the tradition of humanity right um 
but also the the fact that you can definitely if you really are into spirits or wine or beer or whatever it is you like to drink it's that when you really get to, you need to get to a level where you're okay drinking something that is not for you, but still recognizing that it's good. And, yeah. and I definitely, like my ability to do that increased exponentially when I started studying wine. Oh, for sure. There's lots of wine that I don't buy and don't have in my house because we're not, we're not drinkers of that particular type of wine but were i to do a, a blind tasting you could tell if it was sugar, i could yeah. be like that wine is amazing yeah yeah but i don't like it right which is why like and and guests don't i mean whatever not everybody has to be as nerdy as uh, all of us in the service industry but yeah. <laughs> but it's sometimes you're nerdy though right yeah but yeah. sometimes you get these guests who are just like that's just shit i don't like it i'm like well no you don't like it <laughs> that doesn't mean it's shit yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean uh, okay, Martina, I wanted to just, uh, we'll bring this to a close. We've been talking for a while. It's been amazing. But uh, let's talk a little bit about A&M. We talked to Aaron about it last uh, week, but uh, I would like to get your your sort of take on what this business is. Yeah, so it's definitely um, in its infancy. It's a little baby, like little egg that we haven't really hatched yet. Um, we're trying to hatch it. Uh you know, I think eventually we've talked about this a little bit in terms of consulting and stuff like that, which I would personally love to do. I don't know if that's Aaron Steele, uh, but he has some amazing talents in terms of his, uh, as you talked about, like the the craft cocktails and 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 that in itself is its own thing. It's it's like a you know a head chef, right? The balance of flavors and all of those things are are important. It's not. Somebody, you know, mixed a drink. That's not what this is about. Um, And it's not about being fancy with it either. Like, just don't use your your bells and whistles. Just make a good cocktail. Right. It's not flair Um, bartending. No. It's also. I'm sorry to interrupt you one more time, but I'm glad that I you brought that up because I do feel like the whole craft cocktail movement. Like, there's some of us who are just because of yeah, more craft cocktails. But the what people are trying to do is create the an experience with a cocktail similar to you have with an unbelievable meal that you would eat in a restaurant. So absolutely. Yeah. Pair it with something, do those things. And the other side of it is being artistic, right? Like Aaron is amazing at, at his garnishes and all the, and don't get me wrong. I've worked behind his bar and had to do his garnishes and had to do his cocktails. And sometimes I'm like, you fuck this guy. (laughs) Well, as soon as you get busy, you're like this motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But you know, like it's beautiful and it's artistic and all those things. And those things aren't, you know, the things that he's creating on Instagram aren't necessarily for a service bar. Those are beautiful, beautiful works of art that he's creating. That's they are 100% not for a service bar. Yeah. But they are gorgeous. But they're gorgeous. So probably you know, taste amazing, but yeah. Yeah. So for me, like our, you know, when I lived in um, Honduras and we, when I, when we first opened the restaurant, the kitchen wasn't built. So because I lived on property, uh, I started cooking for the restaurant in my own personal kitchen by myself with no staff. Like I just cook. Right. Um, and luckily I had worked in a number of restaurants and had um, back of house experience training and doing all of those things. And so at least I, I understood and I was, you know, health and safety certified, all of that stuff. Um, but I discovered that I loved it. 
I loved it for myself. I didn't necessarily want to do it like in a kitchen, in a restaurant, but I loved it for myself. So again, it's about creating stuff. Um, so we sort of put those two loves together uh, and have decided to showcase some some local businesses um, using our skills and showing what they've got. And so hopefully that benefits them and benefits us at this time. Um, so we're just trying to put together, you know, we're sort of taking products from different places and being like, here's what you can do to create hospitality in your own home. Uh, people, people are desperate to get back out. Right. But if you can't, here's how you can do something cool in your own house. And do you have ideas about doing this over like, um, platforms such as zoom or whatever, where you can just do like a zoom class or. Yeah. So we'd like to, I mean, you know, we've got uh, certainly cocktail classes are available with Aaron. Um, I can definitely do, uh, cooking classes. I'm not a chef. I'm not a certified chef. I'm not saying that I am. I just, as I say, I'm pretty good at a lot of stuff and cooking sure, yeah. one of them, but you know, well, um, a lot of and- people are looking for ways to Come up and it's easy, right? Like I cook for my home and my family and I cook for a kid and a, you know, yeah. guy who doesn't eat vegetables and, a, you know, like people have these real things in their life that they have to try and figure out um, I, and let's make it easy. I think it's cool. I think like if you guys do this together with uh, Aaron and his cocktail knowledge, you and your wine and food knowledge, put that all together. And it's like literally like let's have a, a Zoom meal with pairings yeah yeah that's a cool yeah. thing to do and I, and I and i think it i think it's a great idea i wish you guys all the luck Thank i you. also think you're a super interesting person i'm really glad you came on to talk to us that was well, thank you discussion. for having me no thanks for doing it we like we um tell to tell us where they can get a hold of you on AM if they want to book something like this. Yeah, definitely. So AM Hospitality on Instagram. Um, you can find me on Instagram. It's uh, Martine MCL on Instagram. Um, you know, I'm pretty easy to find. All my stuff's public. I have no secrets because there are none in our industry. Too late for that. You've been on the show now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So you can find me anywhere. And I'm I'm in Cambridge now and we're here. We're, we bought a house and we're in it for the long haul. So we've, we're living in Canada for a while. Thanks. You're an interesting person, Martine. Thanks for coming Thank on. Thank you. Thanks very much. See ya. Yeah.